Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Banks have been forced to publish customer complaints for the first time. So who is the worst offender? How do you really know how your investments have performed? New data shows poor performers are simply merged into other funds. And what kind of house do you live in? We discover that detached house prices have risen the most in the past year. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Alice Ross, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Tanya Poli. Hello. Joe Cumbo. Hi there. And our special studio guest, David Norman, founder of TCF Investments. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, banks were forced for the first time to publish details of how many of their com- customers made a complaint about them. The Financial Services Authority has never named and shamed the banks before, but this week, banks had until the 31st of August to put the details on their websites. Three of the high street banks had well over 200,000 customer complaints in the first half of this year. That's nearly one complaint every minute. So, Joe, which bank fared the worst with its customers? Well, the Spanish bank Santander uh, did with um, nearly one um, complaint every minute during the first half of this year. The next, um, in terms of banking complaints, was Barclays with nearly 195,000 complaints, and that was in the first six months of this year. Mm. Now, this this data, it's the first time that we've got data about um, individual firms that, that they've published it themselves, and it covers the six months uh of this year, and firms with uh, that receive 500 or more complaints over a six-monthly six period are required to publish this data mm. every six months. I mean, those figures sound quite high to me. What what are customers upset about? Is it mostly the banking that they're worried about? Well, they're required to publish um, data covering five product areas, including bank, home finance, general insurance, pure, pure protection, life and pensions, and investments. But the bulk of complaints were up, were about banks. Mm. And those were about things like late checkbooks arriving, administration issues, etc. Why do we think Santander had the worst complaints? Why is its service so bad? Well, they've got a few um, banks. They've got groups such as Abbey. There's been a lot of takeover business going on Mm. inside um, that group itself. And they do have a high number of um, 
customers, etc. And we must uh, bear that into account. Mm. Um, and what about other areas? So you've been looking at investment complaints, pension complaints as well. What tends to be the problem? Well, there? the difficulty with um, finding information at, at this stage is that it's down to the individual companies to publish it themselves. So there's no aggregation of the data that is going to come next month by the FSA. So in terms of a league table comparing, say, for example, if you wanted to buy yourself a pension and find out who was providing the best, who had the best customer or worst customer service Mm. record, you'd have to go to the individual websites of those companies. And if they have more than 500 complaints, generally the bigger ones will do, they've got more volume of customers, then you'll be able to find that information, but you'll have to go to each individual website and compare it yourself. So mm. there is, there is, it, it is, t- does take a lot of time to do that. And it's not just the number of complaints that are an issue. Aren't there also figures on how quickly the banks are dealing with these complaints? Well, um, firms have eight weeks to deal mm. with a complaint. And after that, if you're unhappy, you can go to the ombudsman. What um, the these firms are required to show is the percentage closed within a, within eight weeks. And most firms are doing that. They're getting sort of 90 to 98 percent uh, within eight weeks, which shows you that they're being timely. But it really doesn't give you a full indication of whether they're dealing with those complaints fairly. Now, if you were to go to the Financial Ombudsman Service, which is the independent arbiter of those complaints, you will find that in some areas, such as pure protection, payment protection insurance, that 80% of those complaints are being overturned. For The business was wrong. The mm. ombudsman is finding in, in favour of the consumer. So there are questions to be asked about whether timeliness is um, of more importance, of a greater priority than fairness. Mm. So to get the full picture, I think that individuals, consumers, should cross-reference the data from these compl- this complaints information by going to the Financial Ombudsman Service and cross-matching that, you can get information about the company's performance at that second level. Mm. So in the first instance, complain to your bank, and in the second instance, you might have a better chance with the financial If you're unhappy now, if you go to the ombudsman, you, you can look and you get a better idea and I think a more fairer idea of how they're dealing with complaints. And some companies are getting rejection, um, up, having their complaints um, upheld, the consumer are having their com- complaints upheld to the rate of 80 to 90%. Mm. So every complaint that a customer has taken to some of these big high street banks, um, they're winning when they go to the ombudsman. So... If you're unhappy with what the firm has, um, their response, go to the ombudsman. Always take it to the ombudsman. Okay, good advice. Thanks for that, Joe. And for more on what the banks are doing about their high levels of customer complaints, look out for Joe's article in this weekend's FT Money with the Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, why living in a detached house might be better for your wallet. First, though, how can you really tell how your fund has been performing? According to recent figures from the Investment Management Association, last year 229 funds were closed or merged with other funds. Just 159 new funds were launched. TCF Investment, the fund managers, have done some digging and have found out that just as many funds have launched in the past decade as have been shut down, which is a churn of 100%. I'm here with David Norman of TCF. David, all this means that it can be quite hard to find out how well your fund has performed, doesn't it? Yes, it's the the amount of change that's going on inside 
the league tables, um, and if you assume that basically what's happening is the bad funds are being merged into good funds, when you look at the average performance over five years or ten years, what you're seeing is you're only seeing the good ones mm. because all the bad ones have been merged into the good ones and their track record sort of disappears. So you've kind of got this constant you know, upward push to make the performance league tables look better. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a huge... I mean, people have always been aware of this thing which is called survivorship bias. You know, the funds that last the longest time, you know, have the track records and drive the league tables. But to see 2,500 funds 10 years ago, 2,500 funds now but there've been 2200 new ones and 2200 closed it's just a phenomenal amount of of trading mm. so investors will rightly be thinking well how has my fund been doing because i look how well it looks like it's doing in the league table but in fact all the bad track records have kind of been been merged away that's mm. really difficult and um, why do they do this the fund managers is it kind of savvy because they know if they merge the bad ones into the good ones it doesn't look as bad for them it it's a good question um you look at the data and you have to say well, you see two things that come out when markets have done really badly you see an awful lot more activity so what seems to happen is when when the, the assets of the funds go down and the funds aren't making as much money there's a big rush to kind of close funds and make it more profitable mm. so that's one driver it's being driven by the fund managers trying to make more money um it's it's just really hard though for a customer to say how how am I going to find out what my fund is doing mm. where where is the information um, and the fund managers are very good at producing league tables which show how well they're doing against the sector the sector in most cases is irrelevant what you need to look at is how is my fund doing against the index mm. because that's the thing that you're really trying to beat in in most cases because a lot of the time um, you you know when you speak to a fund manager when I'm speaking to the fund managers they say oh my fund was top quartile over the past year or something but top quartile I mean top quartile of a bad bunch isn't really that impressive is it no exactly I mean I um I mean, fortunately, people can't see. Um, I'm slightly overweight. But if you put me in a running race with all the slightly overweight people, you know, I'll probably do quite well. That's irrelevant. You, know, you want to be with the fastest people. Um, mm. And so these league tables, it's, it's, you know, past performance isn't a guide to the future. The trouble is that past performance tables aren't even a guide you know, to past performance, which makes it incredibly difficult. I think you've definitely certainly got to look at the index. And, and the real trouble is if you've, if you've been, if you had two people in two funds, one that's performed well and one that's performed badly for, let's say, four years in a row, and they then merge, both of them end up with a track record, which looks like the good one. Mm. So investors will think, this sector is telling me my performance should have been this, when in fact their actual performance isn't actually that number. Mm. So you really do need to dig to find out. You know, and, and it's very difficult. You've almost kind of got to go and look back and find out what your unit price did and compare what your real performance is. Mm. And if you've been saving on a regular basis, that's that's very, very difficult to do. And it also makes it difficult when you're trying to choose a fund, you know, when you're wondering where to put your money. So we're always told past performance is no guide to future performance. But then, as you say, past performance is no guide to past performance. So yeah. how do you choose where to put your money? Um, it, 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 again, as you say, it's quite difficult. The, the performance league tables, you've got to be very careful and, and I don't think people will, you know, most people will be bothered to actually go and look, see what was the performance history of this fund, where mm. did it come from? And in fact, it's very difficult to find it. Unless you go back and look at the newspapers over the last 10 years to see which funds existed, it's really hard to find the funds that have disappeared because they've disappeared. So mm. it's actually really hard to find the ones that were bad that have gone. So I think there are, there are important things. There's, there's more and more evidence to suggest that low cost is a really good predictor of performance. Um, uh, Jack Bobble from Vanguard has often said, you know, the best way to be top performance is to be lowest quartile in terms of cost. So keep mm. the cost down. And I think the important thing is to look at how the fund has done against the index. Mm. So if you're buying a UK all companies fund, how's it done against the FTSE all share? That's a much better 
predictor of is this fund manager delivering his returns or not. Mm. Um, that, that's got to be the right way to look at it, I think. Uh, from now, individuals and investors can also go to, to the company and check their complaints record as well yeah. if they want to get a yes. full picture on yes. service. Yeah. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, I mean, it, it kind of links back to your the points about the banks. Publishing the information and getting people is the first stage, you know, getting that information out there so people can see what's going on, where there have been complaints starts to give investors more and more power. They can make much better much better decisions. More transparency has always got to be better. Mm, more transparency on funds and bank complaints. Yeah, thanks for that very much, um, David. And for full details of how to judge your investment fund, read our article in the FT Money section this weekend and on our website, ft.com forward slash money. Finally today, detached houses. With house prices falling for the second month in a row, at least according to Nationwide, which said this week they had fallen 0.9% in August across the country, homeowners may be feeling a little glum. However, hope is at hand if you're living in a detached property. New figures from Halifax show that prices for detached homes have actually gone up the most over the past year, outstripping rises in terraced homes or flats. So, Tanya, this is good news for detached homeowners, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, yeah, the research from Halifax, um, which was out this week, actually showed that um, over the past year, um, detached house prices have actually increased by £91 a day, which equates to about 30% um, rise over the past year. So these are figures from end of June last year to end of June this year. Mm. And actually, what what it kind of comes down to is the case of equity has um, those that have the equity and those that don't. So the buyers of detached properties tend to be those that have kind of accumulated accumulated equity over the years. Um, they're able to trade up as a result compared to, say, first-time buyers who don't have enough deposit to be able to get the kind of mortgage finance involved. This is why we're seeing kind of a greater demand for um, detached properties, which is obviously pushing prices up um, and kind of holding, holding the value better. Mm. Um but is it gloom for terraced homes and flats? So how how are their prices done? Have um, they gone down? They, they haven't gone down actually. They um, for say terraced and semi-detached houses, they've gone up about eight percent over the last year compared to about nine percent for bungalows and flats. So mm. they're not doing that badly. It's not like detached houses are like marching you know streams ahead. Um, but it's just a case of the fact that this is probably this di- diverge between say detached houses compared to sort of flats and semi-detached is probably likely to kind of continue for mm. the last next five years because if mortgage finance um, doesn't kind of if the availability of it doesn't get any better we're going to still continue to see first-time buyers finding it hard to get onto the property ladder and even those who are kind of moving from their first home to their second property it's still quite hard because a lot of them still don't have enough deposit especially seeing that you know house prices are starting to fall back now mm. um, so it's going to prove harder and harder for those um, it's really those that have cash buyers or do have enough equity um, will be the ones that will benefit and then you know we're going to see those type of properties actually continue to increase in value. Mm. And on that subject you know will mortgage finance become more available we had a bit of bad news this week on that didn't we? Well it's it's interesting I mean there's there's been lots of rumours going around that possibility um, of Bank of England capping um, mortgage loan to values mm. I mean this is just something that's been floated around um, numerous times we've actually seen other countries do similar things like Sweden I think they introduced like a 90% loan to value cap um, I think that was early on in the year and Norway are looking to do a similar thing. Mm. Um, it's hard to say whether actually the Bank of England are going to introduce this. I think they were talking kind of on a global level. That this is the things that could kind of stop um, sort of these kind of create these bubbles that we've seen. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they actually do introduce it because that's going to kind of cause further problems for first time buyers to get onto the market because obviously we, a lot of them don't have enough deposit. And I mean, we haven't got that many 95% loaned values anymore and stuff. And that's kind of the the mortgages that we actually need to see to actually help first-time buyers get into that and then kind of you know improve the housing market conditions in general really. Mm. But in the meantime if you are in a detached home you're probably 
sitting pretty. <laughs> David, I see you're in a detached home. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, for, the, for the next few years, I think you're going to be pretty much seeing your values um, increase quite a bit. Okay. Thanks for that, Tanya. And if you'd like to know more about house prices, look out for Tanya's article in FT Money this weekend. But that's all for this week's FT Money show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Joe and our special guest, David Norman from TCF Investment. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.